Good evening, K-Squid listeners. It's every other Sunday again, and you are listening to Sustainability Now, a bi-weekly K-Squid radio show focused on environment, sustainability, and social justice in the Monterey Bay region, California, and the world. I'm your host, Ronnie Lipschitz. Water in California is a perennial concern. Sometimes there is too much, and sometimes there is not enough. And sometimes the water is not very good, tainted by salt, sewage, and other contaminants, both natural and synthetic. My guest today is Chelsea Tu, the recently appointed executive director of a new local nonprofit, Monterey Waterkeeper. Ms. Tu is a lawyer by training and a practitioner of environmental law with a focus on climate, land use, and environmental justice issues. Monterey Waterkeeper combines education, science-based policy advocacy, and legal action to ensure that all communities, including low-income communities of color, have safe, affordable drinking water and enjoy clean, swimmable, and fishable waters. Chelsea, too, welcome to Sustainability Now. Are you there? Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. It's uh, it's great to have you. You are there. Yes, good. Can you hear me okay now? I can, yes. So... Um, let's begin with your background. T- tell us how you came to practice environmental law and, and you know, where you went to law school and, and worked. Well, it's a bit of a long story, uh, starting from my childhood. So I grew up in Taiwan, which is an island full of mountains and roaring rivers. So many of my favorite memories as a child really involved enjoying being in nature, um, enjoying fishing with my dad in the mountains, for example. Um, at the same time, I, my home was in the city, and um, I realized what pollution, especially water pollution, looked like and smelled like from an early age. Um, on my way to school, I passed by the, the channeled river next to my house that always looked murky and gray and um, often smell like sewage. So I think since a young age, I've really seen and lived the differences uh, between clean and polluted environments, specifically water environments, and how that really impacts um, our well-being from uh, mental to physical health. Um, so and when my family moved um, from Taiwan to the Bay Area when I was 10 years old, everything changed. Uh, we didn't speak English. My, my parents really um, didn't have the means to go back to school, so they worked uh, low-wage jobs to provide for the family. Uh, yet, you know, nature and appreciation of nature is always, um, you know, in the family. And so we continued to seek refuge, exploring nearby parks and rivers. Um, and you know, it wasn't until I studied environmental science in college that. I learned about um, environmental injustices, um, especially where uh, environmental pollution is most prevalent in, you know, where low-income families live and where families of colors live. Uh, Families just like mine, um, whether these families um, are more likely to live next to sources of pollution like oil and gas facilities or uh, factories and are more likely exposed to inequities like um, contaminated drinking water. So I think all of this um, exposure to uh, environmental injustices 
and my love for environment really led me to feel a personal responsibility um, to make sure that families that are like my low-income families, families of colors, and really all families um, can enjoy a healthy, clean environment because that's you know really the basis of a healthy family. So I ended up pursuing a career in environmental law so that I can have the tools to be able to advocate for a clean environment for everyone. Hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, what, where, where did you work previously, previous to this particular position, which we'll talk about in just a minute, okay? So my first job out of college was actually working as a research assistant on water issues. Uh, I worked for an environmental consulting company that did coastal marine management mm -hmm. in California. And, and this role really opened my eyes up um, to the fact that um, our coastal and not only to the fact that our coastal and marine ecosystems are so fragile, um, but that caring for the ocean, caring for the coast really also means uh, caring for and reducing pollution from everything that happens upstream, um, you know, from wastewater to pesticides to plastics. Um, all of which ends up in the ocean. And um, I went to law school after uh, working at the consulting company, um, after which I worked on a variety of issues at different nonprofits. Uh, for example, I worked on uh, protecting freshwater supply um, for endangered salmon in the San Francisco Bay Delta. And I also recently worked um, alongside low-income communities of color in the Central Valley to stop oil and gas drilling near homes and schools. So mm -hmm. I've, I learned a lot from working on different issues in different, Cal um, different communities, especially in California. But I've really always wanted to get back uh, to working on water, especially water quality, which... Uh, of course, it affects you know every aspect of our everyday lives, and um, and so that's uh, um, kind of my environmental law practice in a nutshell. And I'm I'm really privileged and um, honored to be able to work on um, issues in a Monterey Bay and uh, where I've lived for three years now. Oh, okay. And, and um, how, how did you get hired as executive director of Monterey Waterkeeper? Um, was, was it, was I it, think it something you applied for? Did you, you know, just for, for our listeners, something you applied for? Did you know someone? I mean, what's, what was the, the process? Yeah, it, it, um, it, it was a quick process. And, and, and it, I think it just kind of happened. I did apply for uh -huh. this position um, and I had the organization had just started. Um, it was incorporated in December of 2021 and they've been looking for an executive director for a while. Um, and I was looking for, um, you know, a, a new organization uh, that I could, you know, really work in and contribute to the sustainability of my community. Like I was saying earlier um, and it, I think it. Uh, I think the organization's focus on water quality protection really speaks to me personally, um, as well as um, professionally, um, and I'm really lucky to to kind of 
come full circle after having worked on a lot of different types of issues um, to now um, working on water quality protection with Monterey Waterkeeper. Well, okay. So how, what is Monterey Waterkeeper's history and, and how did it come then into existence? I mean, on one hand, it has a predecessor, right? On the other hand, it's a new organization. So maybe you can tell us something about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like I said earlier, Monterey Waterkeeper is really a new organization. Um, but prior to that, uh, Monterey Waterkeeper was known actually as Monterey Coast Keeper. Um, and Monterey Coast Keeper was housed under the Otter Project and, and really um, did a lot of work in 15 years prior, focusing primarily on protecting the Central Coast's waterways and Monterey Bay from agro agricultural pollution. Um, and so prior to Monterey Coast Keeper being incorporated and then becoming Monterey Waterkeeper, really um, our organization focused on uh, a lot on watchdogging um, and making sure that our waterways are safe from um, pesticides and nitrates, um, you know, coming from agricultural fertilizers. And we were not only before the Central Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board advocating for strong regulation on agricultural runoff, uh, but also brought a series of lawsuits to keep um, our regional board and um, permittees accountable for making sure that the Monterey Bay's waterways are, are clean for everyone. So that that's really important work that um, Monterey Coast Keeper and now Monterey Water Keeper was doing and, and really nobody else, um, you know, is really doing from the public interest uh, perspective. So um, moving forward, I'm committed to continuing this important legacy work um, and continuing to advocate for um, strong pollution regulation standards from agriculture as well as from other sources of pollution. And um, moving forward as well, um, I also want to draw on my background on environmental justice to tackle some of the biggest inequities um, or water injustices that lie in our region from the lack of safe drinking water in low-income communities and um, Santa Cruz and Monterey counties to their you know, lack of access um, by the same people to our beautiful and unique freshwater and coastal resources that we're, we're so lucky to have on the Central Coast. Well, before we take a break, tell us what are the worst, what are the biggest water quality issues on the Central Coast? I mean, you've mentioned some of them, but maybe you can be a little bit more specific about them. Absolutely. Um, the Central Coast is, um, I, by way of background, um, almost exclusively dependent on groundwater, uh, groundwater feeds everything, you know, from our streams and rivers to, um, you know, supplying our drinking water to irrigation water. So, you know, we all depend on groundwater, whether you're a regular household, you know, turning on your tap or whether you're a farmer in Paro Valley or the Salinas Valley. So um, we, and, and because of the way that our 
um, surface waters like Pajaro River and um, Salinas River and Carmel River are so intertwined with our groundwater sources. Um, we you know, really have a um, pretty unique situation where water supply issues go hand in hand with water quality problems uh, because the waterways you know, between surface water and groundwater are just so interconnected. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of our groundwater um, and surface waters are contaminated with nitrates, pesticides, um, and different nutrients. And and this is largely from agricultural runoff. Um, And and, and I think the connection is probably self-evident because our region, you know, whether you live in Santa Cruz County or Monterey County, um, you you know, one of our biggest sources of income here is uh, agriculture. And so, um, agricultural runoff, um, and specifically nitrates and pesticides and other contaminants like 1,2,3-TCP or, um, you know, that, that is an association, associated chemical, um, chemical associated with um, specific uh, fumigant called telone. Um, our waterways are, are full of those things. Um, and I want to emphasize that, um, you know, these contaminants are not only prevalent among the waterways of the Central Coast; uh, they really you know, hit. They really hit hardest in communities that you know rely on um, private wells or small water systems that um, you know serve low-income folks, where the, the folks that are you know reliant on these groundwater um, contaminated groundwater sources. Um, you know, don't necessarily have the means to check, um, you know, if, how much their groundwater is contaminated, uh, you know, much less spend millions and millions of dollars to be able to clean up this contamination. Um, so I'll just give an example of the San Gerardo Cooperative, uh, or San Gerardo community that uh, Monterey Waterkeeper works with. Um, so this community, um, is just south of the city of Salinas and has about 60 plus households or 30, 350 or so people living in this community. Um, and, and most of the community members are low income um, Latinx families. And the, the community of San Gerardo right now is actually on their fourth uh, well because um, the three other wells that they have depended on in the past have just been so heavily contaminated with nitrate and one, two, three TCP that they've had to abandon their previous wells and try to find um, a well, you know, that's close enough um, with, you know, water contaminant levels that are low enough so that the residents can drink that. Um, and, and that's just an injustice that needs to be addressed. Um, you know, not only in the San Gerardo community, um, which fortunately, um, you know, really took on um, a lot of work um, in, in advocacy and getting money to be able to, you know, get their fourth well and to to have, you know, safer drinking water. Um, but th- this, you know, these in- water injustices, you know, are, you know, in a lot of communities, you know, in San, Santa Cruz and Monterey counties. 
All right, you're listening to Sustainability Now. My guest today is Chelsea Tu, who is the executive director of a new Monterey Bay uh, organization called Monterey Waterkeeper. We've just been talking about her background and the organization's background. And um, Chelsea was telling us about a particular community south of Salinas, which is now on its fourth well. And I'm curious about two things, Chelsea. First of all, how did the community discover that its water was polluted? And uh, second, how did the community, uh, you know, get the funding to uh, to drill the fourth well? The community uh, of San Gerardo um, has been there since the 70s. And um, a lot, you know, over a long period of time, many community members have gotten sick. Uh, community members, you know, for example, have gotten, you know, weird rashes they mm-hmm. cannot explain. Um, and the, the rashes, you know, really went away when the community members decided to drink from bottled water and, you know, uh, minimize showering and mm-hmm. washing mm-hmm. from their groundwater. Um, you know, so they've, you know, since really been diligent about testing their water and so they have a you know a long record of the different contaminants that uh, are in their drinking water Um, one community leader mentioned to me that you know they know that the um, heavy nitrate contamination for example comes from nearby farms because um, a farm was adjacent to the community actually fallowed for a year and you know after the fallowing period um they the 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 groundwater tests showed that nitrate levels went down by 50 percent just in that period alone after fallowing well uh does the community do Um, you you asked me about um how oh you asked me um, about how the community um was able to get money to be able to drill new wells. And, right. Well, it, I think um, this speaks to the, the really the perseverance, um, determination of the community. Um, and this is, you know, well before, of course, I joined the organization because the work um, on getting uh, money for new uh, wells for safer water really began in the 1990s where community advocated both locally at the state level um, as well as with the U.S. EPA um, in order to get funding, I believe, from the U.S. EPA in order um, to drill new wells that are, you know, uh, relatively safer to mm-hmm. drink from. But so, so they got money for the, for the, uh, the second and third wells as well, or from from public you know from this funding or or just for the fourth and i was also curious was the community doing its own water testing i'm not sure exactly uh which wells or series of wells the us epa funding was able to provide for mm-hmm. um, but definitely the funding was able to set up the community's latest um, drinking water system um, and and to drill the new wells um, that they currently use um, and yes, I do their own uh, groundwater uh, quality testing on a regular basis. Uh, okay, that's interesting. Um, 
And, uh, okay. So um, most of the water, as you pointed out, is that's uh, a lot of the water that's used in the Monterey Bay region is, is surface water or groundwater. Santa Cruz has its surface water supplies, but a lot of people get, get water from wells. Um, and I know that there is a, a new California law uh, about groundwater management. Can you tell us something about that and how it might relate to the issues of concern to you? Absolutely. Uh, so in 2014, the state of California passed a law called the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, um, which uh, we call it SIGMA for short. And SIGMA really, for the first time, requires groundwater basins that are heavily reliant on um, groundwater um, or different uses, and also groundwater basins that are overdrafted to come up with a plan to reach uh, sustainability by 2040. So water districts uh, all over California, including water districts and other stakeholders, um, in overdrafted basins like Pajaro Valley Basin and Salinas Valley Basin got together and they formed um, what's called groundwater sustainability agencies that are supposed to come up with these plans. Um, so all of the critically overdrafted basins um, come up with the plans, including the ones I just mentioned here in the Central Coast. Um, and so they did that in 2020 and are now, two years later, kind of in the you know, very beginning uh, phase to implement these plans. And what's really concerning here, especially in the Salinas Valley groundwater basin, is that the Salinas Valley uh, Groundwater Basin Sustainability Agency, you know, has not really established affirmative pumping restrictions from um, agricultural pumping or agricultural uses um, to prevent water quality, um, all of the water contamination I just talked about uh, from getting worse. Mm -hmm. and, and pumping restrictions is important in agriculture because not only is the region groundwater dependent, 90% uh, uh, of groundwater use actually comes from um, agricultural uses in the Salinas Valley. Mm -hmm. um, and then in also, um, you know, in the last five years, we've you know, not only seen, you know, no pumping restrictions, but we're also seeing new wells that are being proposed or drilled, and, and wells are, um, you know, being drilled deeper and deeper. And and the Groundwater Sustainability Agency, you know, so far has not done anything um, to stop this, um, you know, whether it's in um, over-pumping in existing wells or um, halting new permit applications, um, nor are they studying the impacts of proposed wells or existing wells um, on drinking water mm -hmm. um, safety, especially in disadvantaged communities, um, and, and so all of this is really concerning, um, and Monterey Water Keeper is certainly keeping a close eye on what the Groundwater Sustainability Agency does, um, in, or the agencies do in Santa Cruz and Monterey counties to make sure that, um, you know, the, the very source that all of us rely on, groundwater, um, is managed in a way that, you know, not simply 
um, continue allow to allow the status quo, the status quo of over pumping, but that we really take appropriate measures um, to to restrict pumping and to make sure that um, the the water that we do have and we use it in an equitable way and we make sure that groundwater quality um, is safe for all of the community. Do, do the agricultural chemicals uh, percolate into the deeper aquifers as much as into the shallower aquifers? I'm just curious about that. I've, I've seen uh, stories and reports uh, talking about that, but I, you know, I think that there definitely needs to be more studies done mm-hmm. to show mm-hmm. the correlation um, of you know over pumping and then water contamination seeping deeper and deeper into the deeper aquifers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, what is the state's legal and regulatory framework for regulating and managing water quality? I mean, we we're just talking about the sustainability of groundwater. Now, let's let's shift to who is responsible for ensuring water quality, and, and what does that entail on the part of, of the state and the other agencies? Um, right, so in the Central Coast, um, the Central Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board, um, or you know, Regional Water Board for short, mm-hmm. is the primary agency that's responsible for regulating water quality um, in general. And it's really done that with surface water um, you know, um, for, for the past decades. And, and that's because, like I mentioned, the ground, Sustainable Groundwater uh, Management Act, or SIGMA, really didn't come into force until 2014, 2015. Um, so groundwater, water quality, and groundwater was, you know, basically... Um, not managed at the state or regional level until that law was passed. Um, but uh, the Central Coast Water Quality Board does play a really important role for you know setting and enforcing water quality objectives um, and for requiring you know creating requirements for discharge or you know pollution from point sources. Uh, which are, you know, for example, wastewater from a manufacturing facility uh, or specific point, um, and also for um, creating requirements for uh, discharge of non-point source pollution, um, like agricultural wastewater that I mentioned a little earlier, um, and, and for stormwater. Um, in Monterey County, um, there's also the Monterey County Water Resources Agency, which manages uh, a series of ditches and pumps that you know uh, really manage uh, land use as well as um, so, uh, facilitate water movement in the Salinas Valley mm-hmm. um, and the Salinas River. Uh, and then, as we talked about, there's uh, you know emerging groundwater sustainability agencies that are. I think just in the beginning of grasping, um, you know, how to measure the extent of overdraft in our groundwater basins in the Central Coast, uh, and really, um, you know, you know, putting their heads on um, creating a management plan and implementing that plan 
to make sure that groundwater is, you know, not only groundwater supply is managed sustainably over time, also that um, you don't draw down too much of our supply, which has negative impacts on you know, groundwater quality as well as surface water qualities. Um, and then lastly, you have, you know, um, various uh, drinking water as well as wastewater management districts in, you know, the northern central coast, um, some of which are public and some of which are private. So I think the, the question on uh, who is responsible for water quality in the central coast is that um, it is definitely um a good one, and uh, you know, we're seeing really just a patchwork of regulatory agencies. Um, and this is not unique to the Central Coast, but definitely throughout California as well, where um, each agency, um, you know, whether it's a wastewater district, management district, or the Central Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board, really holds a piece of the puzzle on um, both protecting uh, surface. And groundwater supply as well as quality. Do, do these agencies talk to each other? Sometimes they do. <laughs> uh, I mean, um, it, it sounds like I mean a, a remarkable number of agencies uh, are responsible, as you put put at different parts of the puzzle, and this seems that seems terribly inefficient. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I, I would definitely agree um, with you on that. That the. Um, you know, whether you're looking at the water supply world or water quality world, which, as I mentioned, is you know really one and the same in the Central Coast, where um, you know all of the waters and intermingle and 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 then end up in the ocean. Um, yeah, it's really complicated policy, um, legal landscape, um, and it's really complicated politically. Um, and I think the good news is that with um, the Sustainable Groundwater Management Act, um, you know, forcing agencies to come up with a plan for, you know, a common groundwater basin that's in- interconnected with surface waters and, you know, also obviously impacting drinking water uh, or supplies drinking water, um, that that forces agencies to come together um, and, then, and also you know, California continues to face drought conditions, um, you know, more frequently and, um, you know, that are more severe. Um, you know, I've, I'm, I'm seeing agencies come together and really figuring out, you know, what can we do together to make sure that, you know, we talk to each other, um, we're able to supply water in each other's districts um, and, you know, just manage, you know, what we have, you know, more efficiently um, and, you know, more equitably together. I'm, I'm curious. I know you're still building your website, but do you have or do you plan to have some description of, of all of these different agencies and what their responsibilities are? I think that would be enormously educational and illuminating um, because I'm sort of... Absolutely. I'm sort of stunned, <laughs> stunned by it. I know that... that uh, the legislature, the, you know, the, the California legislature is confronted, gets confronted by issues. Somebody introduces a bill and the bill says, well, let's start a new agency to address this particular problem, right? And um, then that gets passed on to this new agency and they have to start to define what it is they're going to do. But it doesn't seem as though there's much consideration of this 
these overlapping responsibilities and and you know mission conflicts, I suppose one could call it. Um, but of course, it's not the uh, the case only with water. Um, well, so let's get back to Monterey Waterkeeper. Um, what kinds of projects are you planning? Okay. Um, well, uh, as we're starting out, you know, our organization, you know, in Second Life, I think, as I mentioned, uh, we want to we want to continue to carry um, our legacy work of watchdogging, uh, making sure that you know agricultural pollution uh, is regulated in the Central Coast. And so that's something that, um, you know, is a focus area for Monterey Waterkeeper mm-hmm. uh, this year and to future years. Um, so when the latest version of the agricultural discharge requirements or what we typically call an agricultural order or ag order, um, when that latest version, the fourth version, uh, was approved by the Central Coast Regional Water Quality Control Board last year, Monterey um, Waterkeeper, which I mentioned was Monterey Coastkeeper, filed a uh, petition for review um, to review that order before the state water board. And so um, we did that because, um, you know, even though that there are some even though there are some good things in the forest agricultural order, um, uh, it, you know, it really doesn't do enough, doesn't go far enough in making sure that individual farmers um, you know, monitor the water contaminants that's coming out of their farm. Um, and, you know, they're contributing to contamination further downstream. Um, and, you know, we don't, and, and there's not enough accountability um, it, it, you know, if and when farmers violate um, their discharge requirements. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the Agricultural Order 4.0 is um, pending and is being reviewed by the State Water Board, and you know, we expect a decision to come soon, and, you know, perhaps as early as this fall. Um, and you know, hopefully the State Board will agree with us that you know, the Agricultural order um, really needs to be strengthened uh, so that agricultural um, um, operations can be held accountable um, and and make sure that they do their very best to minimize pollution to our waterways from their practices. Yeah. Um, another key project uh, that I alluded to is. Um, you know, really going to be monitoring closely the groundwater sustainability plan and its implementation in the Salinas Valley primarily. And we're going to be, you know, working side by side with community residents from San Gerardo Cooperative, as well as from other disadvantaged communities um, in the region to make sure that the groundwater sustainable plan is implemented in a way that protects residents um, and, you know, even helps clean up their contaminated drinking water. 
Yeah. And finally, um, I'm really excited to announce we're about to kick off a water leaders program starting this fall. Um, you know, over the next two years and hopefully more, uh, to facilitate experiential learning trips uh, for youth from disadvantaged communities like South Monterey County and Watsonville, um, and so that you know, youth can go to and access our beautiful coastal resources, you know, what like Elkhorn Slough or the many beaches that we have. And our hope with the Water Leaders Program is really to help youth um, experience in a personal way and learn about and, and witness the connection between the quality of their drinking water and coastal waters, because um, it's all connected. And, you know, my ultimate hope through the Water Leaders Program is to encourage our next generation to become stewards and water champions of their community. Oh, that sounds, that sounds really exciting. Are, are you going to uh, involve these students in your, you know, your legal and, and policy activities as well? I think that's up to the students. Um, uh, okay. I, you know, I'll definitely share the, the history of Monterey Coast Keeper or Water Keeper's work and our continuing um, work and pushing for stronger um, agricultural pollution control policies, you know, and other legal work that, you know, we'll do in the future. Um, and, and I suspect that can, um, youth from communities um, like San Gerardo or other disadvantaged communities, um, or even if they're not from a disadvantaged community, have stories to tell you know, on the safety of their drinking water, yeah. um, and 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 are probably already leaders in their community in mm-hmm. one way or another. Mm-hmm. Um, so, the the water leaders program is really to facilitate um, experiential learning from youth that yeah. you know I I know are taking leadership um, in 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 their community and. You know, I hope that, um, you know, through this program, we can, you know, learn from each other and support each other and and together advocate for a cleaner environment for everybody. And you are listening to Sustainability Now here on K-Squid. My name is Ronnie Lipschitz. I'm the host of the program. And my guest today is Chelsea Tu, who has just been appointed Executive Director of Monterey Waterkeeper, a new organization uh, based in Monterey, but concerned about water quality uh, in the entire region. Um, Chelsea, there are many water organizations in the in the region and of course around the state. So, how does Monterey Waterkeeper differ from these other organizations? So, I think we're different and unique in two ways. In that, Monterey Waterkeeper really works at all of the key points where people influence the water cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is we work on um, reducing pollution from the source, um, you know, whether it's our policy for, uh, whether we're pushing for policy to set high regulatory standards uh, to, re- to reduce nitrate or pesticide pollution input from um, agricultural operations or from other sources to 
you know, all the way to the other end of, um, you know, working with community members to advocate for cleaning up their contaminated water. And so, you know, we really look at water um, as a, a continuum of work of which all of these points are really important from the beginning or end. And, um, and you know, we, we do it all from the beginning of, uh, to the end on water quality protection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think most importantly, we, we are the only organization in the region that you know, brings water quality enforcement. Um, and this could look like litigating policies that violate water quality laws. Um, Monterey Coast Keeper, um, the predecessor to Monterey Waterkeeper, um, has, has brought different lawsuits against the regional um, water board on failing to adopt strong um, agricultural pollution control policies. Um, and, and, you know, it, it could also look like moving forward, Monterey Waterkeeper brings citizen suits to ensure that pollution, um, polluting facilities comply with their discharge permit limits. So, um, essentially, um, in addition to our science-based policy, uh, as well as education and equitable access programs, we are not afraid to take legal action if and when it's necessary. Because of this, you know, through legal action, we can create that necessary backstop to make sure that water quality requirements are met at the end of the day and that pollution is minimized um, from the source so that we can maximize the health of both people and natural ecosystems in the Central Coast. Okay. Um, last couple of questions. The first one is, so what can people who are in affected communities do to, uh, to push, as my colleague says, to push the noodle forward on this? I think the first thing that community members can do is to know that their voices matter and that they should attend uh, you know, their local water district uh, meeting or small water systems uh, management meetings because that's really where decision about um, the safety and the cost of their drinking water are uh, you know, are being made. And I think zooming out to the regional level, um, I'd encourage community members to um, you know, individually or work with Monterey Waterkeeper to go before the Salinas Valley or other um, groundwater sustainability agencies and make sure that the decisions being made there in those sustainability agencies um, are benefiting or at least not harmful to disadvantaged community residents. Mm-hmm. There's a lot going on in you know various agencies in myriad of agencies that control water supply and, or that manage water supply and water quality. Um, so I think starting from um, you know where you live and, and finding out where these local and regional meetings are happening is important. And speaking about um, you know your everyday experience and um, in order to advocate for the highest water quality protection in your neighborhood is so important. All right. And what can people do to um, 
get involved with Monterey Waterkeeper. And now I'm thinking about more than people in the affected communities, the you know interested members of the public. Yes, you you mentioned that we're still building our website, and that's true um, because we really formally launched in July. So we're you know continuing our legacy of advocacy while building our infrastructure, but we do have a website and. Um, folks can feel free to visit it as we're building it out, www.MontereyWaterkeeper.org. And um, you'll find my email on the website. Um, would I be able to share my email here, Ronnie? Sure, sure. Okay. And uh, folks should definitely feel free to reach out to me by emailing me at Chelsea, C-H-E-L-S-E-A, at MontereyWaterkeeper.org as well. Okay. Well, Chelsea, thank you so much for being my guest on Sustainability Now. Um, I hope, I wish you, uh, you know, uh, you have my best wishes, and I, and I wish for great success for Monterey Waterkeeper, and that we'll be hearing more about it in the future. Thank you very much. All right. Uh, you are listening to KSQD 90.7 FM and ksquid.org, streaming on the Internet. As a reminder, shows from the 5 to 6 p.m. Sunday slot are rebroadcast the following Tuesday mornings from 6 to 7 a.m. If you'd like to listen to previous shows, you can find them at ksquid.org slash sustainability now, as well as Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts, among other podcast sites. I want to thank Mary Whelan for pointing me to Chelsea, too, as a potential guest on Sustainability Now. And to the rest of you, thanks for listening. And thanks to all the staff and volunteers who make K-Squid your community radio station and keep it going. And so until next every other Sunday, Sustainability Now.
Cause you know you make us 